This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. It's been one year since President Biden signed the country's biggest climate legislation into law. And if you ask him, it's been a major success. We've seen progress across the country from Maine to South Carolina to Minnesota to New Mexico. The vice president and I and the cabinet have seen progress across the country. Just yesterday, I was in Wisconsin at at a company that makes clean energy equipment, including wind turbines. Because of the Inflation Reduction Act, they expect their market and American-made wind turbine generators to double next year. That was President Biden speaking at a White House event celebrating the one-year anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act. But what has the IRA actually accomplished? Well, that depends on where you are. While the law provides billions of dollars for the U.S. to transition away from fossil fuels, it's up to local governments to allow the big renewable energy development needed to meet the country's net zero emissions goal. This is the latest installment in our series, Plugged In, How the IRA is Changing America. After the break, we take a closer look at whether local governments are making or breaking the president's promises on cutting carbon emissions. And later on, we hear from the woman in charge of our public lands, Bureau of Land Management Director Tracy Stone Manning. The Inflation Reduction Act sent millions of dollars to the Department of the Interior's Bureau of Land Management. So what are they doing with all that funding? I'm Jen Moyt. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bluehost. Try Bluehost Cloud, the hosting plan made for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, fast load times, and 24-7 support, your sites can handle high traffic spikes. Visit Bluehost.com. Let's get into the conversation. Joining us from California is Sammy Roth. He covers energy for the LA Times and writes a weekly climate newsletter called Boiling Point. Sammy, welcome back. Happy to be here. And with us from New York is Amy Turner. She's the director of the City's Climate Law Initiative at Columbia Law School's Sabin Center. Amy, welcome to 1A. Thank you for having me. So the IRA provides billions of dollars for renewable energy projects to meet the Biden administration's decarbonization goals. But it relies on state and local governments to actually make the projects happen. Amy, why does the IRA put so much of the work on local governments? Cities and other local governments really are the critical implementers of the Inflation Reduction Act. The IRA itself, the law, designates billions of dollars for climate and clean energy spending. It changes the tax code in really important ways, but it doesn't actually do the work of reducing greenhouse gas pollution or of responding to climate change. 
the greenhouse gas reductions will come from the actual implementation, most of which is yet to come. Um, and this is going to be the responsibility of states, tribes, private companies, nonprofits, and especially of, of cities and communities. Um, it's pretty clearly going to be a, a ton of work for the entities that have to implement the IRA, uh, that actually have to do that work of, of reducing emissions. They have to identify and respond to grant opportunities and tailor their projects accordingly. Uh, they have to figure out how to take advantage of those tax credits for which they're now eligible. They have to work with their states and regions on greenhouse gas reduction planning. They have to communicate with residents about available opportunities, and they have to figure out how to do all of this in an, an equitable way. Way, a way that drives climate investment in the communities that need it most. How does this reliance on local governments affect what's realistically going to get done in a timely manner, Sammy? Well, I mean, I think part of the, the big challenge here that's going to need to be resolved is that so much of this investment um, involves building physical stuff that has to go somewhere. I mean, the, the estimates that I've seen are that if we want to get to net zero carbon emissions by 2050, we're going to need solar farms and wind turbines covering more than 225,000 square miles, which is an area that's that's bigger than California. I mean, it's going to involve putting electric vehicle chargers all over the place and switching out appliances in people's homes from gas to electric. Um, that stuff is is really hard, and that's going to be sort of on, on states and on local land use planners and local building code people to design and implement all of that and to do it with the... Um, with the buy-in of the people whose whose homes and whose backyards are going to be affected, and you know that's uh, you know that's going to be a challenge. I'm not saying we can't do it, but that's the implementation here. So a lot of the money isn't flowing just yet, Amy. But what progress have we seen when it comes to local governments implementing the IRA? Yeah, so the first major tranche of, of grant money is going out in connection with the climate pollution reduction grants, which will allow for metro areas to do a lot of greenhouse gas reduction planning, um, after which local governments can develop all manner of proposals for more funding. Um, the tax credits, which, you know, there's a change to the tax code that makes these tax credits now available to local governments, those are already in effect. So local governments can start planning for solar energy investment, uh, start switching out their fleet vehicles like buses and trucks for electric vehicles. Uh, there's also a major program getting off the ground called Solar for All that cities, um, often in collaboration with their states, are seeking funding to help low-income communities access solar energy and have more investment in solar energy development. And then there will be additional grant programs and other funding opportunities coming down the pike that local governments are are starting to plan for. Well, Sammy, as you said, when it comes to big renewable energy projects, funding isn't usually the problem. It's where to put these projects. What are some of the hurdles the projects are facing? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the most interesting things about the Inflation Reduction Act having passed. There's, there's all the, you know, there's lots of money for this now. There's tax credits and uh, incentives and rebates for all sorts of stuff. And you know, now you now you need to physically figure out where where to put it. And I mean, I've been reporting on this all over the the Western United States in rural communities and on on public lands in particular. And you know, you you actually see opposition on the ground to solar and wind farms sometimes from environmental groups who are concerned locally about impacts to wildlife habitat. Um, same thing with with transmission lines to carry the solar and wind power to the city where they're needed. You see concerns about lithium mining. Um, which can have, you know, lithium is needed for for batteries for electric vehicles, and there can be environmental concerns there and concerns for sacred uh, landscapes, landscapes that are sacred to certain Native American tribes. You have rural communities that 
don't want these large facilities to industrialize their, uh, you know, their backyards and their ways of life. They feel like these are sort of intruders coming in. So these are these are battles that have been playing out in different places already for a number of years as as new renewable energy projects get built in the West. But with all of the money and the Inflation Reduction Act coming down and the need to build really enormous amounts of, of renewable energy and transmission lines and batteries for electric vehicles to solve the climate crisis, you're going to see more and more of these conflicts playing out all over the place. It's going to be one of the big factors in determining whether this stuff actually gets built in time. We're heading to break with this message we got from one of you. What does one do when their local government has no interest in taking advantage of the free grant money available? We'll be back to discuss that and a whole lot more in just a moment. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit their website to get a quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. Then just choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the conversation with this message we got from Alan in Florida, who writes, As an employee of local government, I see a need for clear guides on how my county could make good investments in solar. I've been told that the return on investment is not there yet. The cost outweighs the return. Are there guides with case studies on how county government should wisely invest taxpayer money? Amy, what is the communication between the Biden administration and local governments on how they can or should use this money? Yeah, so the federal government is making resources available on this. Pretty much every grant opportunity has come or is coming with webinars, opportunities for public comment, an email address for technical questions. Um, And some of the IRA funding is meant to help local governments or at least regional planners staff up to better receive the information. Uh, State energy offices as well are receiving some implementation funds. Um, But local governments are really drinking from a fire hose on all this, and, and, and so much more is needed. Um, Fortunately, there are a number of groups starting to provide that technical assistance and resources for local governments to navigate this space in the form of primers and explainers, as well as, you know, one-on-one technical assistance. But more is definitely needed to help really, uh, you know, streamline this information and, you know, make it digestible and usable for local governments of of all stripes across the country. And it sounds like Alan is really looking for a research or data-driven guide to how to invest this money. He's saying a guide with case studies would be really helpful. Are we seeing that as part of the communications rollout? Slowly, I, I think. I mean, there are a number of, of of groups that are working on this this kind of thing, and so we're starting to see some of these case studies roll out. Um, you know, everyone is kind of scrambling to to make sense of this information. So I think we will see more and more of that as as time goes on. You know, in the in the very near term, um, C forty and climate mayors have put out a mini guidebook on IRA implementation for local governments, as have as has the Urban Sustainability Directors Network. So those are available as 
general resources, uh, and then I think more one-on-one and technical, you know, really, you know, numbers and case study-based technical assistance will become available um, in the near future. We got this text from Joseph who says, when I first read about possibilities for providing support to update 130-year-old house to be more energy efficient and move responsibly into a more climate-friendly structure, I downloaded material and started studying and preparing my plan to participate. My enthusiasm soon dampened when I started connecting, when I started contacting state officials to find out how to proceed. South Dakota chose not to participate in the program. At first, there were comments about the state not having the administrative structure to manage the program. Then there were comments about wasteful ways to use taxpayer money and negative comments about the Biden administration. So I am not allowed a way to participate in the program. Sad, but that is the reality of living in a red state. Sammy, how are red state, blue state politics affecting the rollout? I mean, they're they're definitely important. Uh, one of the bigger ones that I've I've seen on red state, blue state is you look at, um, I mean, there's money in the Inflation Reduction Act to help people transition from gas appliances in their home to electric appliances. I mean, uh, gas stoves and heating and um, gas water heating. You've actually had, I think, like two dozen uh, red states now or something thereabouts where the legislature has banned um, new homes that being all electric. They, you know, there are states, a lot of states in California or cities in California and New York and other, other blue states, cities that have you know, banned gas in new homes or required uh, new homes to be all electric. And you've got red states that are telling their cities, you know, even if you want to require that, you can't. So that's just sort of an an example where the Inflation Reduction Act is encouraging that and trying to put aside money for people to, you know, switch to zero emission, climate-friendly types of homes. And and you've got red state governments saying, no, we're not going to let you do that or we're going to make it harder for that to get done. Well, even in some states, their laws could prevent localities from acting on some of this money. How are state and local government dynamics affecting the IRA rollout, Amy? Yeah, absolutely. You know, unfortunately, um, cities really rely on their state their state uh, legal regimes to be friendly to the actions that they want to take in all sorts of areas, including climate. In legal terms, we refer to, to cities as the creatures of the state, meaning that state law and state spending really inform what cities are able to do. Um, but cities can still apply for grants on their own, assuming that the underlying project they're seeking funding for is lawful in their state. They can take advantage of the tax credits that we talked about, so they have that, that elective pay or direct pay mechanism if they want to put solar panels on their buildings or buy new electric school buses. Um, You know, unfortunately, when we start talking about these sort of structural law issues within state law, that becomes a bit more tricky to work through. But there should still be opportunities um, for local governments in those states. And it's it's super important for those local governments to play a leadership role. When we have a state that's stepping back from climate action, it's local governments that will really play that, that just incredible leadership role in terms of bringing the whole region forward in that part of the country. Well, we got this email from HR who says, I live in Birmingham, Alabama, and to the best of my knowledge, the state government and the suburb that I live in are not doing anything. Last week, I looked at the state attorney general's office website, and they're fighting the administration and agency's efforts to green our power infrastructure. Amy, how might we see long-term health or economic inequities from this uneven distribution of funds? 
Well, we could certainly see more robust implementation of the IRA in some places versus other places, and that can have long-term impacts on, you know, greenhouse gas reductions, improvement to local air quality, uh, improvement to state and local infrastructure, all of which very much, you know, uh, have equitable uh, equity implications for people's lived experiences. Um, you know, I, I, um, I, I think one of the interesting, perhaps, outcomes of all of this, at least in, you know, over the longer term, will be that. Um, uh, you know, even Republican lawmakers will start to realize the the, uh, the scale of funding that's available to them, um, and perhaps it won't become so politically uh, advantageous to to reject those funds. Um, those cities and states that reject funds now are certainly welcome to change their minds, or if you know those politicians are voted out uh, to to you know have an, a new regime uh, seek some of that funding. Um, you know, this made for a really good uh, opportunity for a headline if local leaders wanted it or state leaders wanted it, but it doesn't mean they can't change their mind and use other IRA programs later. But certainly there are very real concerns about the equitable rollout of the law across the country if you have places that are simply not taking advantage of it. I'm curious then what that means for the Biden administration's push to get more people to know about the IRA and the benefits it can provide both to individuals and to states. We talked about it earlier this week that a lot of people really don't know the ins and outs of the IRA. I mean, what kind of push should the Biden administration make to to get more information out there to the general public about the opportunities their state may be missing out on? Yeah, you know, this is really a, an all-hands-on-deck opportunity for this outreach and education. The federal government could certainly be doing more. Um, state and local governments also can can do this work. If a state government is not doing it, perhaps uh, the IRA could make some of its funding available to local governments to do the same. Uh, you know, we also will see uh, nonprofit organizations stepping up to fill this gap. And ideally, uh, some of this funding will be used by community groups. Um, you know, they can develop their own applications for, for a community block grants um, to develop some of this outreach and education materials to help folks in communities across the country understand the breadth of tax credits and rebates and other opportunities that are available to them. Um, So much of this is going to depend on, you know, every American household, every American business understanding what is available to them here and and what they can do with the money that uh, is being offered. Amy, you you touched on this briefly, but for people who are in states where they feel like, I can't access the tax credits for a reason. Um, I may not be able to access the rebates for, you know, cars or, or solar panels when those come out. And my local government is not using these IRA funds. What would you say to folks who are just feeling frustrated right now? Yeah, that, that is extremely frustrating. I, I will certainly validate that. Um, you know, uh, hopefully in many places, if the state government is stepping back, the local government is stepping up. Um, there are pro- uh, programs like the Solar Energy for All program that states and local governments can access to help scale up solar in low-income communities. Um, you know, uh, ho- hopefully many states will will sort of see the wisdom of taking the uh, the money that they'll need to offer the, the uh, uh, energy efficiency and uh, home electrification rebates, because that's just free money that they can pass along to their taxpayers. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's a real challenge. Um, and, you know, I would hope that long term, uh, one of the major things that the IRA will do is Im- improve the market and the economics of all of this work so that, you know, it becomes less expensive, uh, you know, home energy bills go down and also, you know, governors and other politicians who aren't really into this now see the wisdom of, of um, 
see the wisdom of buying in later. This is something that's really going to transform our whole economy. You're seeing states and, and communities taking in new green jobs. And this is something that, um, you know, I would hope that over time, even those reluctant politicians uh, buy into. That's Amy Turner. She's the director of the City's Climate Law Initiative at Columbia Law School's Sabin Center. And Sammy Roth. He covers energy for the LA Times and writes a weekly climate newsletter called Boiling Point. Amy, Sammy, thanks for your time today. We've been talking about how local communities have a big say in where renewable projects are built. But there's one space we all have a stake in, our public lands. Bureau of Land Management Director Tracy Stone Manning manages all 245 million acres of our public lands, and she joins us next. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor Made in Cookware. Did you know that many popular dishes in Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant are made in Made in Cookware? Their carbon steel cookware combines the best of cast iron and stainless clad, gets super hot, and is tough enough for grills or open flames. Remember what great dishes on menus worldwide have in common. They're Made in Made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from the 18th until the 27th. Visit MadeInCookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N Cookware.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics. With vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics. Now on Amazon. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands. But because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Let's get back to the conversation and turn now to the Bureau of Land Management. We, all of us taxpayers, have 245 million acres of public land across the country. That land is already being used for recreation, wildlife, and oil and gas drilling. Last year's Inflation Reduction Act sent millions of dollars to the Department of Interior's Bureau of Land Management to manage our land in a climate-conscious way. So we thought we'd ask the woman in charge what plans she has for that money. Tracy Stone Manning is the director of the Bureau of Land Management, and she joins us now from Montana. Director Stone Manning, welcome to 1A. Thanks, Jen, so much for having me. So for those who don't know, exactly what does BLM do? As you, um, as you mentioned, we are the largest land manager in the country. We oversee one in 10 acres of public land. That ex- it's mostly in the West, but it extends from Jupiter Inlet in Florida all the way to the Arctic tundra in Alaska, the Red Rock Desert in Utah, and, you know, the iconic, beautiful Western scenes you see on the movie screen. That's probably uh, land managed by BLM. And our job is to manage it for um, uh, multiple uses, for delivering energy and food and fiber to the country, but also to protect it for wildlife habitat and clean water and recreation and future generations. So we have to balance a lot of uses in our work. As we've been talking about across the week, the IRA was a massive investment in addressing climate change. The Bureau has allowed oil and gas drilling on public land for decades, but fossil fuel pollution is the biggest reason we have a climate crisis. The United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has repeatedly said the world has to phase out fossil fuels quickly to keep Earth's warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius increase, which we are currently not on track to do. So how does continuing to allow fossil fuel production fit into the administration's overall goal to decarbonize our electric grid by 2035? 
Well, President Biden and the Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, have been really clear that we have to decarbonize uh, our power sector by 2035 and our uh, uh, and have a carbon-free um, pollution, carbon-free and clean energy um, sector across the economy by 2050. Um, but that, that takes a transition. And um, while we do that transition, we also have to follow the laws on the books, right? We have to implement the laws that Congress gives us. So we are, uh, uh, we are um, moving ahead with our oil and gas program in a balanced, responsible way as we transition to um, what is the future, which is a clean energy economy. But as I said, time is of the essence. We have a limited amount of time. Again, by 2035, the UN Intergovernmental Panel says we have to phase out fossil fuels to keep the Earth's warming below that 1.5 degrees Celsius increase. So is this process that we're currently following going to get us there? Yes, Yes, is the answer. Um, We are putting our shoulder to the wheel, um, Jen, because we have to, right? Um, We are all living in, uh, we just all live through the hottest July on record across the planet. Um, uh, It's never been sort of more urgent and more clear what we have to do, which is why the Bureau is hyper-focused on ensuring that we gear up our renewable energy development in a responsible way, cite it uh, where it's appropriate, um, you know, what, what Sammy was just talking about, um, and uh, and ensure that we make that uh, transition to that clean energy economy. But again, we have to follow the laws on the books, and um, that's, that's what we're doing. You also said you're taking a balanced and responsible approach to managing the lands. What are you balancing? What are the interest there? Um, as I like to say, the Bureau of Land Management, you know, we do all the things, um, and people love our public lands. Um, we have these these remarkable 245 million acres that we all own in common. Um, and the balance there is ensuring that um, people still get to go out and recreate on those uh, public lands, that those public lands still deliver energy for the country, um, but that that energy is clean energy, and that we still um, provide the American public with food in the form of, um, you know, what ranchers give us, um, fiber in the form of what some of our forests deliver with wood. Uh, and we have to make sure that as we do all that work, we do it in, in a, two ways. Um, one, that's sustainable so that nature continues to give us these resources. And two, we have to focus um, our work on ensuring that we restore the landscape so that we can deliver uh, all of these uses into the future. And that's why I'm so excited about the Inflation Reduction Act, because we have this once-in-a-generation investment um, for restoring our public lands, for um, enabling them to become more resilient to the, the changes that climate change is bringing. As I like to say, nature is our very best engineer. Um, if we can restore, uh, if we can restore our lands back to their natural condition, nature will do the rest. Earlier in the conversation, we talked about how local projects are being delayed or derailed by residents. We were talking about complaints of obstructed views, of environmental damage, simply not wanting renewable development near where they live. What oppositions have you faced to projects on public land? 
you know, everybody loves public lands and everybody has an interest in them, uh, which is why sometimes uh, there's lots of feelings around them, right? And a lot of uh, local controversy. So the BLM uh, is used to um, navigating uh, people's interests and trying to find and strike the right balance between um, what we uh, need to deliver for the broad American public and making sure that um, communities are a part of the decision and um, okay with the decision in the end. And 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 we're good at navigating that, and we are delivering uh, towards the. Um, the goal of, for example, of 25 gigawatts uh, from public lands by 2025. Congress and the president gave us that goal, and we're going to um, not only meet it, but I think we're going to exceed it. From your seat, what do you think the Bureau could do better when it comes to siting and permitting renewable projects on public land? Uh, one of the things we're working on is a west-wide solar plan. You know, we had one from 2012, um, and it's time to update that, right? Because uh, lots has changed since 2012, and there's uh, um, there's much more interest in renewable energy now. So we're putting together a plan, working with communities, working with local governments and states to to identify where are the appropriate places to drive that renewable energy development, that solar development, and where are the places that are inappropriate. And when we take that west-wide look, um, those projects by projects that come in, um, are we can implement much more quickly because we've done the broad look of where it's appropriate to drive that development. As we've said, there's some urgency in meeting our climate goals But we know the federal government is exactly known for quick action. So how are you balancing the need to move quickly on these projects, but still allow for full environmental impact analysis and robust public input? Yeah, Jen, that's exactly what we do. So the Bureau of Land Management is committed to planning for responsible renewable energy development in a way that balances the need for clean energy with Um, protection of our lands, waters, wildlife. Wildlife identifies who and what we are as Westerners, also our cultural resources. Um, And again, it's uh, it's what we have done historically. Our job is to balance all those uses and to get it right. Um, As more and more pressure comes to our public lands um, in the face of climate change, that job gets harder. But with this influx of uh, investments from the Inflation Reduction Act, um, I am confident and optimistic that we're going to be able to balance those uses. Speak to how you're using impact studies as you're deciding where to put these projects on public lands. So our job under uh, the National Environmental Protection Act is to look at uh, environmental impact studies that truly dive into deep into the weeds um, to look at what the, and to disclose what the potential impacts would be. We take drafts of those documents to the public. The public weighs in on them. Um, we take the public feedback. And that, that is what enables us to, to make our final decision and move a permit forward. It's um, a robust public process. Um, that I think really serves um, serves the nation and, and most importantly, serves the public lands that we are fortunate enough to steward. 
The IRA doesn't just promote energy transition to renewables. There's also $161 million going to landscape restoration across the country. We heard from Anthony, who says, I think we need some creative engineering in combination with conservation professionals to tear out invasive and exotic species from public lands, then combine rehabilitation of native species with partial use for energy improvements like solar and wind. It seems like if people from both these groups work together, they should be able to come up with, at the very least, small-scale plans in specific targeted regions to go to reduce the effects of fossil fuels and the harmful effects of non-native invasive species. Director Stone Manning, how are you using the money? Does our listener, Anthony, have a good idea there? Uh, Anthony is right on the money. Um, We are... We are, you know, nature really is the planet's best engineer, right? That's why these restoration investments are so important. Um, Healthy landscapes not only store carbon more efficiently, they're better able to withstand drastic weather and wildfire. So wildfires, uh, uh, the idea is to make wildfires uh, more natural on the landscape. Um, And then the landscapes are also better to weather the storms that we see in, in our place now, right? And so... President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act gives us that opportunity. We have $161 million that we announced in May that we're focusing on um, 11 landscapes, uh, uh, 11 states and 21 landscapes across the West. And we'll be able to um, go in at the ground level, working with partners to do things like eradicate uh, those invasive grasses that Anthony was talking about, especially cheatgrass, for example, in the Great Basin. Um, Cheatgrass burns really hot and really fast. It's not natural. Take the cheatgrass off the landscape, bring natives back, and we have a, a fighting chance to break that unnatural fire cycle. $161 million. How far will that really go? Is it enough money to do what you need to do? Uh, I think it is enough money to prove up the real value of restoration, the real value of putting people to work on our public lands to make them healthier for the future. Um, And when uh, folks see the the real benefit of that, um, I think that investments will continue to come over time. I don't know that people always think about landscape restoration as related to greenhouse gas pollution and global warming, but why does that restoration process matter? Oh, because uh, it matters. It matters locally, right? For um, for the public lands themselves, because a restored landscape is. Um, is, is more naturally in balance. A restored landscape ensures that we have healthy wildlife habitat. It ensures that um, streams in the West stay cold like they're supposed to stay cold and can t- continue to deliver water downstream deeper into the summer. Um, so that natural cycle that, um, that, that has been with us for the millennia, that's what we need to strive to restore in our landscape. Um, but it's also so important for the future because in the face of climate change, we need to have as many options on the table for uh, the future as possible, for future land managers as possible. And uh, a natural, uh, functioning, intact landscape is the very best thing that we can deliver to, the, to future generations. Director, how are you measuring success when it comes to the money that, that's coming your way from the IRA? At, at the end of your, your time in that role, what does success look like for you? 
Um, success looks like two things. It looks like um, uh, deeper uh, partnerships in place with nonprofit organizations and communities and local conservation districts and states all galvanized around the idea that putting people to work on our public lands to make them better um, should continue. Uh, and then secondly, it looks like success uh, um, it, it, with with the landscape itself, right? How incredible to see what what, what used to be um, a dry, hot, brittle meadow, meadow rather, returned to a wet, beautiful, high meadow that has native plants in it that have occurred, you know, for the millennia. A, a meadow that is storing water late into the season to deliver downstream. That's what it. That's what success looks like to me. That's Tracy Stone Manning, the director of the Bureau of Land Management at the U.S. Department of the Interior. She's in charge of what happens to the 245 million acres of public land across the country. Director Stone Manning, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure, Jen. Thanks so much. Today's producer was Amanda Williams. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit their website to get a quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. Then just choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.